please stand for the reading of God's Word, 1 Peter 1, verse 22 through 2, 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains, stands forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be You may be seated. Well, welcome to Grace in Peace. I am Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor here at the Church Planter. If you have questions, you can come ask me any questions you want. As long as it doesn't stump the chump, I think I'll be fine. Uh, but one of our values here at Grace in Peace is authentic unity. Uh, and authentic unity means that we have unity on the gospel, the good news. That we may have differences about music preference. We may have differences uh, about uh, the greatest baseball team in the major leagues. We may, have, uh, we may come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We may come from different racial backgrounds. But we can have unity in the gospel. And that gives us unity in the mission of what we want to accomplish together. It means also that we are going to have to forgive one another. We're also going to have to be willing to confess that we're messed up and we don't have it all together. That's who we are. We don't get everything right at this church. But we are united in this gospel. Jesus said, they will know you by your love. As we continue into 1 Peter... Peter is reminding them and transitioning now to what they're supposed to do with their right belief. And this is what he says. Uh, this, is, this is what Peter's getting at about love. Jesus says, they will know you by your love, but I've heard it prayed, Lord, I love you. It's your church I can't stand. As someone has written keenly as a title of a book. And then... Uh, you know, I've talked to many people as a college pastor, and one of, one, of the, one of the things that they always say is like, man, how can you even be part of the church? How can you even believe that anything in the Bible is true when all the people who say they believe in the Bible are complete mess-ups? They are jacked up. In fact, they are worse than most everybody else because they pretend to have it all together religiously, but then behind the scenes, it is really, really messed up in their life. How in the world can you live this way? In fact, this is probably the top reason why a lot of people just won't even start to consider belief in Christianity and belief in Jesus. You know what? That argument is fairly convincing, especially when you consider some of the things that we've heard in the past few years. 
a megachurch founder and pastor in the Chicago area. He's fired for abusing his staff. Another Chicago area pastor is fired for being aggressive and stalking, even accused of hiring a hitman. A Seattle area pastor would pose as someone else on social media in order that he could uh, disagree with people and do so in a way that used vulgar language. And, 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 uh, and, and, and then he would be aggressive and it spilled over onto his staff and then his staff ended up firing him. He ended up getting fired. But then he plants another church. And then when he finds out that someone had kissed his daughter... He decides to have them surveilled, stalked, even hack their uh, computer account so that he could find out what they're doing. More than that, we see an apologist that many people love. He really he worked, he helped people in their faith. He owned a bunch of day spas, which if someone in ministry owns a bunch of day spas, that should be red flag number one. But anyway... He uses it to cover up sexual assault. These are just the leaders of the church. Not to mention the day-to-day -day problems. The day-to-day -day interactions that you're going to have people with people who are offensive, uncomfortable, a little weird, who are going to say ridiculous things to you. In the end, why would anyone ever consider going to church? You know, are people then rightly justified just being spiritual and not being religious? Like, uh, if something like 40% of our population identifies as having no religious affiliation whatsoever. 40%. 40%. And I can understand that because there is a lot of people, especially in Colorado Springs, that are burnt out and have been hurt by people in the church. So, what do you do? I mean, but you need to consider the basis for the church's understanding, though. If the basis for your understanding and your entrance into the church is not because you have performed or because you have it all together morally or even all together spiritually, your standing in the church is because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as First Peter says, that you've been ransomed this way, not because you bought your way in, but you have been bought and so therefore you're in. You haven't performed any of the necessary steps. Instead, what you need to do is you need to look back and say, well, the church is really filled with a bunch of mess up. It really is. Nobody has it together. We must confess that everyone in here are all addicts to sin. And yet, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus saves sinners. It is not that we love God and therefore we come to look good in worship, but rather we come to worship the one who loved us first. He loves the unlovely. We can't look down our noses self-righteously on anyone else. And so if you are standoffish to the church, if you have thought to yourself, man, I don't know about this Christianity thing. Those people are really messed up. Then Peter has something to say for you. He says, you got sin, come on in. You can't stand, stand, stand off and be standoffish and self-righteous in Christianity because it is a group of people who are messed up. Part of this love that Peter will get at 
is confession, forgiveness, repentance, and growth in Christian love. The church is a group of confessed mess-ups. This Christian family, God's people, is one whereby entrance is by faith and not achievement. Therefore, you should expect to be sinned against. You should also expect that you can be forgiven and that you will have to forgive. No other organization will give you the opportunity to do that. You cross paths with your tribes held to ethics. You cross that. Uh, take, for instance, uh, Ellen DeGeneres. Very kind, social, on the outside. A lot of people love her. But she's being, her, her show has now ended because, in the background, she was mean and abusive toward her, uh, toward her staff. Do you think there will be any forgiveness? No. Rather, she's being turned out. No other social group has the means, the capital, to forgive one another. And so what Peter is trying to say in our text is this. Orthodox belief, true belief in the Christian story, in Christian theology, will lead to orthodox love. Orthodox belief leads to orthodox love. And this love unites. And so, what are the indicators of this Christian hope and Christian love? It is love and longing. Love and longing. First, Peter says, love one another. This is the text that he goes for. This statement is easily said, but it's harder to do, isn't it? In our anxious age, a lot of people are really fearful about being known by others. We are standoffish in order to self-protect. But here is Peter telling them that what true belief is to do. True belief, after you have gotten through that you have been bought, that you are to be holy, that you, have been, uh, you are part of a new family, that you can have real, true, substantial hope, says what? Love one another. And he says this probably why? Probably because it's really hard to love a bunch of messed up people, right? I don't know. Have you ever tried to like, uh, you know, actually like earnestly love someone who's completely different from you? Think about this. Here in First Peter, we probably have Jews and Gentiles getting together who are socially and culturally completely different. And then you've got to try and love one another. All right. This is like if you were back in high school. It's as if the computer science kids, okay? Uh, how do I know there are computer science kids? I was part of a club called the New Mexico High School Super Computing Challenge, okay? I got down with C++ in high school. It was as if those kids were out hanging out with the jocks in the school, which was weird because I actually all played all the sports, so I just never told anyone that I was actually part of the Super Computing Challenge. They're like, Vince, where you go? I'm gonna go hang out with some other homies. They're like, cool. I thought we were your homies, but like later. And so I would just go and then program stuff in C++. But it was as if these two were to get together and actually love and care for one another. And you can imagine how awkward and difficult it is for these two groups to get together. Here's the deal. It reflects the community that God has within himself. For distinct, different people groups to actually get together, to worship in unity, and to stick together, 
and to stand up for one another reflects the unity of God, the triune God. We believe that there is one God eternally existed in three persons of the same substance, equal in power and glory. And so this is where we see this. This is an eternal community of love. God has love in himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in a community of love. Jesus says in a prayer, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the distinctions of the Christian church, the differences you have, and at the same time having unity, shows and displays the distinctiveness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and at the same time shows the community in unity. And it reflects to the world that yearns and desires how in the world can we have this unity amongst all this diversity? It reflects the truth of the triune God. Deuteronomy 6 says, The Lord, your God, is one, means He's unique and unified. And so, here he says, though Jesus is saying that, that they are to be one, that they are to be united. Even God works in community. Notice that Peter opens the letter. He says that this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Yes, there's one God, but he works in the actions of three persons. And so the Christian life, the resurrected life, is life in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we sing, Holy Father, Son, and Spirit, bind us together. Unity and love, to love one another, is to be unified. Unified in mission. Unified in the gospel. And so how are you to do this? How are you to love in this generation? It says with pure affection. This type of affection means to, be genuine, to have genuine love for each other for the glory of God. You seek the good of, of, of another by serving. Jesus says uh, when he had washed their feet and put on their outer garments and he resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord? You're right, so I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also are to wash the, uh, one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. For, is, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you, do, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And this isn't just like frivolous, trivial love. Like It's easy to love people that are in your own social group. Oh, that's easy. Oh, man. Holy cow, that's easy. You know, people who are like road cyclists, yeah, those are my homies for life. Right? But when a downhill mountain biker careens off of his trail and onto my road, 
I am going to give him the weird eyes, okay? But here's the deal, all right? Whenever we have these groups together that socially aren't together, what is linking them together? It has to be the true, genuine love of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mission bringing them together, that we have something binding us together other than, you know, we're part of the same social group, we eat at the same restaurants, different things like that. And so that's what he's going for. Here's a true, genuine, integrated, and sincere love. He says it needs to be sincere, deep, authentic love. But here's kind of something crazy. A lot of us have been hurt by social groups, haven't we? And by other groups. And by people. And what happens with a person is that we start to compartmentalize our lives in order to protect ourselves at times. And what happens is that this person, you're no longer integrated. In fact, you're a little bit disintegrated because you've compartmentalized. You protect yourself. You change the way you act around a certain group of people in order that you would feel safe. And so what he's asking for is deep, integrated love. Something backwards. And the only way that you could possibly get that is understanding how Jesus Christ sees and knows everything about you and still loves you and dies for you the same. And so that allows you to take the walls down and the different compartments in your life. It allows you to have a soft heart toward people and even risk being hurt again. More than that, he says how to love, you need to do it eager or earnestly. The same word was said about Jesus in the garden when he was distressed. Love is distressed. It strains for the other. So love, it means you will forgive the hurts of other people. And you will seek to be forgiven. Love will inconvenience itself for the other. It will be service for the other. And you are to seek to do it. Seek to inconvenience yourself. And sometimes you will not feel it. Notice he's not talking about the feelings of love. Yeah, there is some genuine affection. But he's talking about the actions of it. And this by this kind of life, we are to show to the rest of the world that they are, this unity is to reflect and declare to the world that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so why does he say that? It is because you have been consecrated or set apart for holy use by or to obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth here, what he's talking about is conversion. What he's talking about with truth is the gospel. And notice he talk, breaks it down and he says this. Uh, he says, obedience to the truth, right? And then he kind of skipped down to verse 23. He says, not by perishable seed, but by imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then at the end of verse 25, he says, the, and this word, the word of God, is the good news that is preached to you. And so it is the good news about Jesus Christ. And where do we get that today? For us Christians, we get that in the Bible. 
And the inspired text of the Old and New Testament is the rule by which we are to get, uh, tells us what we are to believe concerning God and how what we are to do, what is our duty, and what duty God requires of man. And so, this is where we find our life, that we have been set apart by obedience to the truth. And it is more than intellectual, it is transformational, it is inside out, it is organic truth. Okay? The truth is, more, is, the, is definitely the announcement of the good news. And there is obedience of faith. And so, you subject yourself to this truth. It is by the gospel that you are united to God by Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.5 talks about the truth of the gospel. Ephesians 1.13, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And Romans 1.5 says that he is preaching to bring about the obedience of faith. And so you are consecrated, you are brought, you are different by your faith. And so faith... In the truth, in the gospel, ought to produce what? Love, action, care, unity. And it says now you are born again with imperishable seed, not the perishable. So God's word leads to life. It is a powerful and creating agent. And so you are not born by the will of man or by the will of flesh, but by the will of God. John 1 says. And furthermore, it says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Peter here is talking about that you have true life, resurrected. Real life is the life of love. This is the life of the imperishable seed. And so you live like it. You don't live this the other way. The way of the world live the way of the imperishable seed. And John and so so we see in 1 John 3 it says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For the family. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. The kingdom of the imperishable seed is the kingdom of love. Despite the circumstances and appearances, it will last. But it's organic. And it's love. You know what this is like, right? You like watching little kids grow. You look at a little kid and you watch them every day and it never seems like they're growing. But if you watch them from year one, you're like, oh, look, here's little Johnny year one. Cool. Especially if you're an uncle. And then you come back five years later, you're like, you're a wee. What in the world is going on? And they grow big, right? <laughs> And so it doesn't matter what happens to the pressures. As long as they are being fed, they're going to grow. And love grows like that in the community. It takes time, and you've got to feed it the word for sure. But it's, over time, it will prevail. 
I love going hiking, especially up in uh, uh, kind of the Red, or, uh, not past Red Rocks, uh, North Cheyenne Canyon. And what I love is to look at the uh, boulder formations, and there's always these cool little ponderosa pines that grow in deep. And so, you know the rocks will put pressure on them. It is hard for it to grow. But over time, because it was organic, because it was born of actual true life, what happens? It expands and pushes and expands the rock. And Christian life is a lot like that. The pressures of this world is going to get you not to love one another, but to turn your back on one another. But the more you feed, and this Christ is in you, the imper- if you've been born of the imperishable seed, over time it will expand and defeat that rock. And Christian life is like that. Then the next thing he says is Peter is then telling the people that they are to long or to crave for the pure spiritual milk. Alright? And so, Peter compares a believer to a newborn yearning for food. And there's nothing that will satisfy a young child for milk, okay? So first off, you need to get over the fact that he's just compared believers, you and I, to a bunch of babies, okay? He's like, all right, babies, you know what you need to do? You need to crave, you need to actually be like babies and crave for pure, spiritual, unadulterated milk. The milk of the word. You need to want it, yearn for it, cry for it. You know, and here's the thing, okay? As a baby, you're completely helpless. And what you most desperately need is what? The Word of God. And you need to crave it. You know, here's the problem, though. Many of us treat the Word of God like a diet, okay? It is like a health food diet. In fact, we treat the Word of God like kale to an adult, all right? Rather, we need to be looking for a feast of this hungry soul. Instead, we like we can take like little bite-sized pieces, you know, of course in moderation, but what I really want are those flaming hot Cheetos that I have stashed in a cabinet by the cereal. It's back there somewhere, okay? But I'm going to keep up appearances by eating this kale, okay? And that's the way we treat the Word of God. A lot of us treat that thing like that. But we need to be like children. We need to grow by eating what we were meant to eat. The unadulterated spiritual milk. We need to hunger like that. And so, what do I have to say? Uh, What about those people who are leaving church? Maybe they're just tempted, they're about to check out. You know, maybe those people are not believing in a uh, church that we don't, that we, you know, we probably don't believe in it either. Because we don't believe in a perfect church without flaws. In fact, the gospel, the true spiritual milk, is the truth that Jesus, that God loves sinners. And the church is filled with them. So let's be real. The church is filled with mess-ups, and God loves those mess-ups. If you think being a Christian is about not messing up so you can be loved by God, you will absolutely hate His church. I guarantee it. Any other community, though, will also struggle with the necessary tools to keep those who fail in the community. If your basis, though, is on Jesus, you're standing in the community, then you'll be secure. If it is on the true, pure, uh, spiritual milk of Jesus, then you will be secure. You will have the tools of love. And so you will be able to always 
keep moving and looking deeper and getting more spiritual milk that you may grow. Yes, there's standards of conduct. Any other group has it. But it's not, but any other group doesn't have these built-in mechanisms of grace for the failing people. Hence, we don't have to have a call-out culture or a cancel culture, but we can have a culture of love and forgiveness. Uh, let me put it even further. You want a dating app? Anyway, young people on dating apps, which has kind of been a fun conversation for me lately uh, with a lot of young people. Okay, and it's been real hip and trendy for a lot of people to identify as a Christian on their dating app, and then you go on the date, and then the person will ask, well, what church do you go to? And they're like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Okay, um, that's like saying I'm a rock climber, but I've never climbed anything. That's like a CrossFit, like meeting a CrossFitter, and then suddenly he's never told you that he was a CrossFitter. Okay? Or it's like a cyclist. Just people are crossing. Okay. Or like a cyclist, you know? You, you, you know, you, I'm a cyclist, but yet you don't drive your spouse crazy with all the room you need for your bikes, okay? That's not a cyclist, okay? And so, whenever you are a Christian, there's something that, that is really important to know. That you love the things God loves. And what does He love? His church. God loves sinners. But yet, you want to stand out there and look down your nose and be like, I'm too good for that church. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm being a little abrasive here. I know that. But that's just smug self-righteousness. If you think you're any better, you're always saved into a community. Christians are going to be weird, and we're going to sit next to people with flaws. You know? Let me put it this way also. But you're on dating apps. You meet someone who's a Christian, but yet uh, doesn't, doesn't go to church. Let me save you some time. Okay? If you're really serious about your faith, you don't want to be babysitting someone, okay, spiritually. You don't want to babysit someone spiritually. And let me put it in the reverse. You don't want to be babysat by anybody either spiritually. And so what do you need to do? Peter says, long crave for unadulterated spiritual milk. Crave Jesus Christ. And if you don't have those cravings yet... Start working on it. That's what he's saying. Why? Because if you have tasted Jesus Christ, you know what is good. And so therefore you're able to put away all inconsistencies. He says, put away these things. Mortify the flesh. Kill the community killing vices. And what are they? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. I could sit here and define all those, or let me put it in a contemporary way if Peter was writing this today. He would say, this is how you destroy your church. This is how you destroy unity. Or to crave fruitless work. Or to crave your own, you know, uh, being your own reputation. Be sure to criticize everyone. Find something to be displeased about every week and tell someone about it. <laughs> Keep a long record of wrongs and then tweet about it. Thinking the worst of everyone else all the time. Always be cynical toward everything that happens. 
Sit up at night thinking that certain people are plotting against you all the time. Be passive aggressive in your behavior. Ooh, this is to be rewarded. Make sure you have the dirt on someone else and share it. Focus on the genre and style of music instead of the mission of the church and never share your faith or invite friends to church and you will kill that church and its mission. That's what he's saying to put away. That's what he's saying to get rid of. Put away those things by craving and longing for Jesus. So how do you see the church? How do you see? Now, do you see what God sees? Do you see a beautiful bride? I've done plenty of weddings. I've done plenty of weddings. And I always get to see a little glimpse of what the, hug, what the, bride, what the groom sees. He looks down the aisle and he sees his ravishing bride. Has she got it all together? No. Want to know why I know that? Because I did the premarital counseling and I know they're jacked up. And I'm all like, y'all sure you want to get married? I always ask that. Um, and so, so, you know, but here's the thing. You will love what God loves. I celebrated my 16th wedding anniversary and got to see photos of when we were married. And what was beautiful about it is I still remember her coming across the way and walking down this, the, across the green grass and down the aisle. And I looked at my beautiful bride. And in, a, some, in some way, I get a glimpse of the way Jesus looks at his bride, the church. God loves his church. And so love and long for the things that God loves and longs for. Long for the word of God. Love the word of God. Let it transform you. Get inside of you. That you may live in unity. Unity on mission to glorify this God. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God. Help us to live in unity with one another, to love one another, to long for the true spiritual milk, the milk of your word, that we may be nourished. And now as we take your word made visible in this sacrament, may we be transformed to live life on mission in our homes and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also.